Well, I am not Pastor Craig, so... Yep, we'll, we'll just go with that. Uh, they're having fun in the Appalachians, serving and uh, ministering to people out there. But uh, This morning I was asked if I could come and share some thoughts on prayer, which is a pretty big topic, um, can go a lot of different ways, and have spent a lot of time just prayerfully considering what, uh, what is helpful for us to hear this morning. So out of curiosity... Anybody these days feeling confused or overwhelmed by the world? Yeah, I actually stopped listening to the news because just, there's just so much stuff and so much heaviness going on in the world right now. Uh, everything seems like it's either breaking news or fake news, uh, global warming, trade wars, like everything is going on right now. Uh, there's just so much. So how do we keep this all straight and contained? Well, one encouragement is that this is not a new thing. Uh, the Church of Ephesus uh, struggled with this as well. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ephesus, it was a metropolitan crossroads, bridging between Asia and Europe. Uh, it was very famous for having a number of large libraries, so a lot of academics and scholars and philosophers went there. It had a massive theater, so there was the entertainment industry coming and going, performing all over. And because it was a major port and a major crossroads, there were a lot of travelers of a lot of different faiths and a lot of different backgrounds just coming together and pooling in this giant city, sharing and exchanging information all over the place. And so when Paul arrived there, there was just so much going on. Like, how do we make sense of this all? And as he built that church and went away, uh, we still see that Ephesus gets talked a lot about in the New Testament. In fact, there were four letters written back to the church to encourage them in this growth of time. Like, how do we keep this all straight? Paul wrote one letter to the Church of Ephesians himself. He wrote two to the pastor there, a young preacher named Timothy. And John records the letter that he wrote to the church in the book of Revelation. And all of them had the same theme. You are so incredibly faithful. The church has astounding number of believers faithful, immersed, baptized believers going out there trying to do the good work. But in all four letters, the theme is the same. There's so much information, there's so much going on that you have slowly lost track of your first love. You have forgotten this unity that we have, this bond that we have in Christ. And slowly we're getting pulled in all these different directions. And in all four letters, it kind of brings it back to, let's remember, where are we? Where did we start? And let's figure out these truths so Paul writes about things such as uh, what is our relationship as Christians to the law? What is our relationship to leaders and the governing authorities? What is our house supposed to look like? What are our homes and our relationships supposed to be like? Who is welcomed in the church and who should be kept out? And he talks about all these things. And I think we see that still today in our current time. Faithful, baptized believers arguing and struggling over these things. And if you'll permit me, I'll throw out some current examples. Uh, recently, we had a lot of mass shootings. Gun control is a law that is being talked about. And we have a lot of faithful, baptized believers talking about what does that mean from the spectrum of control everything to allow everything. Wide range. Everybody's debating and talking about it. We have uh, immigration policies that are being discussed all over the place. Again, faithful, baptized believers with wide range of beliefs talking, using scripture to support their claims and 
discussing and arguing with one another. What should this look like? What should this be? We all have views, I'm sure, of our current government, whether that's Congress, how laws are being done, who's in Congress, how Supreme Court justices are selected. Uh, Everybody, it seems these days, has a view of our current president or our past president, faithful, baptized Christians, arguing, discussing, using scripture to support their claims and their views of what is going on. One more that I'll just bring up, because it's talked about also in Ephesians, is the idea of personal relationships. Again, over the past decade, the church has been in this continuum of discussion. What is a relationship? Is it a partnership between a male and a female? Or does it go down a continuum of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and, and more? Faithful, baptized believers arguing, discussing, using scripture to dis- figure out what does this mean? So Paul and John both write letters to this church and saying, remember, you are Christians first. Remember your unity. John writes it, you have forgotten your first love. You have been so caught up in these things, you have forgotten where your start is from. Paul gives us a little more direction. He says, first to the church in Ephesians 6, he's like, given all that this is going on, uh, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness and evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And stand firm. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes fitted on your feet, so that you may be ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to be quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times, in all occasions, with every kind of prayer. So we just went through a long series that Craig called Grow, which inadvertently touched on all of these topics. We didn't use this scripture to talk about all these things, but Craig just went through and talked about truth. What is scripture? Uh, What is our salvation? How can we be sure in our faith in the light of doubt? And today, we're going to focus in on that last component of the armor of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, or in some translations, all times, with all kinds of prayers. What does that mean, and what does that look like? Especially if this is our answer to all the chaos in the world around us today. What does this mean? So first, trying to get an understanding, where are we at in prayer? Uh, I looked up some statistics. Um, Everything is research-based in my field, so I need to know the numbers. A recent study was done, a Gallup poll. Americans all over the country. What are your thoughts on prayer? 92% of Americans, regardless of their background and belief system, reported that they believe prayer is important, which is a lot higher than I would have thought. Like, wow. Like, that's across all religious backgrounds and beliefs. 92% of Americans. Diving into the numbers a bit more, the report came back that those who said they professed Christianity or aligned with the Christian belief only 18% of Christians said that they had a prayer life that they felt satisfied with. 
some satisfaction with. So if you've ever taken one of these surveys, there's like strongly agree, kind of agree, somewhat agree. So that whole segment, Christians in America, 18%. I had to check the math a couple times. That's one in six. Um, so on the opposite side, that means 82%, or five out of six, are struggling in some way with their prayer life, feeling confident in it. So in a practical sense, uh, just to make this a little real, I don't know if the statistic applies. Um, I don't know who was polled for this study. But if you look in your rows, there's about six-ish, it looks like, in each row. Um, front rows, you get to double up, I guess. Um, but in reality, this means that one of you is like, yeah, awesome, we're talking about prayer. Let's do it. Five of you are already feeling like, oh, yuck. Um, I don't pray like I ought to. I don't pray at all. I don't know how to. Does God even hear me? Who hears me? What am I praying to? How do I do this? What does this look like? Um, am I doing something wrong? Um, this, this is not uncommon. So if you are in that category, don't feel alone. And that is why it comes back to this encouragement of pray. Pray on all occasions. Pray all kinds of prayers. So the rest of the time, I want to focus in on that. How do we grow in our prayers? What does this look like? And specifically, what on earth does Paul mean? Pray prayers of all kinds. All kinds of prayers. What on earth does that mean? Luckily for us, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus. He also wrote to the pastor saying, Hey, Timothy, you have all this going on. Let me encourage you how to teach your people. So in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, chapter 1 is the setup. Like Paul's like, Timothy, awesome job, man. You got a lot going on. Here's the layout of your church. First of all, above all else, I urge you to pray supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for everyone. And then he goes through and talks about how to encourage the church from that standpoint. But given all the chaos, all the confusion, all the overwhelmingness that's going on in the culture at Ephesus as it is now, first of all, above everything else, pray. So for the rest of the morning, we're going to walk through what are these four prayers? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does scripture talk about in these? We're going to look back into all the gospels. Jesus talks about all four of these prayers and what does it look like in our life. And I will preface that I can be long-winded. Somebody was joking, don't go over. Um, This could be a setup for a whole sermon series, to be honest. So I am going to keep it as brief as possible. All right. And at the end, I'll give you some ideas of next steps we can take to learn further and go deeper into this. But first, we're going to start with uh, supplication. So we're going to take them in chronological order. Supplication. What is this? Um, Now, a little bit about me. When I was in college, we were required to take uh, two, two years of a foreign language. And my rebellious young adult self was like, Spanish is overrated. I'm totally not taking that. I greatly regret that. Um, Instead, I signed up for the Greek, because who takes Greek? Sounds exotic and fun. And there were two of us in the class, and we had fun. Um, So because of that, when I see, like, hey, pray these prayers, I'm like, what on earth does that mean? So if you're interested, deomai is the Greek word. It literally means to beg or plead out for something that is necessary. These are prayers of crying out. Like, I am crying out to God. I just don't know what to do. Please help me. I don't know. So what are some things that we cry out for? 
there are a lot of examples through scripture. We're going to put up a few here. Um, a very common one, healing. Oh, I, I am sick. I need your help. Uh, Matthew 8, that, that passage talks about when Peter came into the fold, Peter's mother-in-law came and said, Lord, I am sick and I am dying. Please help me. And Jesus healed her. In Luke, we see a leper. Lord, if you choose, you can heal me. He is crying out to God from the, from the curb in the gutter just as Jesus is walking by. Lord, please, you can do this. You can heal me. As Jesus is walking through town, there's a Roman centurion who comes to him, Teacher, I beg of you, my son is dying. I know you can do something about this. These are crying out. These are beggings, pleadings, longings of our heart. We need this. We see instances in scripture of demonic freedom. The very common one that I have up there, Matthew 8, is a common passage. Jesus is walking in the countryside and this man approaches him, and he says his name is Legion because he's been, he's been uh, filled with multiple demons, too many. And Scripture even says that this man begs, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg of you, no longer torment me. And Jesus casts out the demons into a nearby herd of pigs. So we can cry out for freedom. In Acts, as the church is building, Peter and John are imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And the rest of the disciples are meeting in a nearby room and crying out, begging to God for freedom and justice for their brothers. And there's a great earthquake and the door swings open and they're freed. So crying out for that freedom. Connection with others. Paul, in Thessalonians and Romans, his letters, he said, as he's chained in, in jail, he's like, oh, I just beg and plead of God that I could be with you. I so want to be with believers. He's crying out to God that he could be connected. Last one we're going to look into a little bit more is injustice, when injustice happens in the world. Like, oh, God, do you not see the wrong that is happening? We cry for justice, please. And with this prayer, Jesus does a teaching to his disciples uh, in Luke 18. Jesus tells them a parable about their need to pray always in this way and to not lose their heart. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for his people. And in that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. And for a while the judge refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps coming to bother me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what this unjust judge has said. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly answer their plea. So this first prayer, the supplication, maybe there's something in your heart that you're just longing for, that you're wanting to cry out for. And I know I've talked to Christians who are like, we can cry out to God? Like, that's a thing? Absolutely. Just cry out. Physically cry. That's okay, too. Um, but there are things in our heart that just weigh us and burden us down. The second prayer that we're going to look at is the Greek is prosuke. It literally means to bring forward your heart. 
Um, it's a compound word in the Greek. Pros means bring forward, suke or psyche. Um, so some of you might be familiar with that word, your psyche, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, everything about your being, bringing it forward and saying, here it is, God. All my worries, all my anxieties, all my hopes, my dreams, I'm just laying it here in a pile before you. Here it is. This is often thought of as uh, our general daily prayers. So this is when we wake up in the morning, and we're like, yay, another day, let's go. Or if you're like me, most mornings, it's like, ah, the kids are up again. I need so much strength. Please help me. I don't know if I can do it. These are our prayers over mealtime, like, thank you for this food. Please bless it to our bodies. This is uh, the prayers that we did over communion and offering, like, ah, thank you, God. Like, we're we're filled with gratitude and hope for what's going to happen. Uh, this is driving down the road or hoping for that front row parking spot. This is, um, again, when you're feeling overwhelmed with an anxious or fear or joy, like, oh, the sky is a beautiful shade of blue today. That's so amazing. Um, bringing our heart forward to God. What was helpful is when I, I was familiar with this verse for a long time. In First Thessalonians, Paul writes, uh, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. And I remember being a young Christian being like, how on earth do you pray all the time? That's a lot. It's a lot of prayer. But what's helpful in my study is that this is that daily prayer, this conversational prayer, essentially. Just throughout the day, just sharing, how are you feeling? What's going on? Just laying it out to God. Here's how I'm feeling. No, no filter, just what's on your heart. Out of curiosity, one of my favorite movies, Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody see this one? 1970? Great movie. Um, it is a musical. I would encourage you to watch it, but it's not musical like, yay, life, we're dancing spontaneously. This is like 1900s uh, Roman Jew, or, uh, Russian Jews at uh, the brink of the Holocaust. So this is not like happy musical. Um, but what's amazing is if you watch this three-hour movie, the main character, this Jewish farmer who's poor and broken, um, spends the whole three hours seemingly talking to himself or talking out loud, and you get the sense he is praying to God constantly. Whether it's raining and he's stuck in the mud, whether he's planning weddings for all five of his daughters and how he's going to pay for them, um, when the daughters get married and he's like, yay, or when the daughter brings the husband, he's like, well, I don't know about this one. Let's weigh this out, God. Like, is this the right choice? Um, He's constantly praying, talking it through. Uh, it's, it's not a big show. It's not a big thing. He's just walking down the road or at the dinner table, just talking it out. Jesus prayed this way a lot, so much so that his disciples said, Lord, will you teach us to pray this way? So Jesus gives them a teaching in Matthew 6. He gives them two, two, two pairs of instruction. So first, when you pray this way, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in the, and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. So when you're praying this way, just burying your heart, you don't have to make a big show of it. Like, here I am. Oh, here's my heart. Instead, he says to do, when you are praying, instead, do go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This type of prayer is private. This is you bearing your heart. And we do this in private because, I don't know, there's a lot in our hearts that we don't want the world to know. 
Uh, David in Psalm 34 calls it his secret heart when he prays to God. Like, God, reveal to me my secret heart. Like that stuff I bury in there that I don't want anybody else to know about, anyone else to see, I want to bury it deep inside. We want to go and really share, like, hey, I'm really nervous about this. I'm really struggling with this. I have this addiction. Nobody knows about it, but I can't share it with anybody. What do I do with this? Help me through this. So going to your room, praying in secret. I will say as an aside that I've also heard this verse misused against corporate prayer. Um, That is another type of prayer that we're not going to talk about today. This is just you sharing your heart. But there is also a place for you to pray with others. Our next dyad that he goes to. So the next verse, verse 8, he goes into his next set. So when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases and vain repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of him. So prayer isn't about using big words, cliched phrases. It's not about like this, finding this right magical combination of words to hear that God will hear. Like You have to pray this way before God will hear you. There's, there's no recipe, no secret that you need to know. Um, don't heap up these empty phrases. I don't know. I, I've heard preachers uh, kind of pray in, in a way that kind of sounds like, what on earth are they talking about? So I don't pray this way, so I had to write it out. So I, I actually heard this recently. Dost thou, Heavenly Father, from whom the Blessed Virgin womb came forth, deliver thee and grant thee sanctification through the propitiation of the blood of thine own Savior? And I sat there thinking, like, what on earth are you talking about? I can't follow that. It sounds nice. Big, empty phrases. But what is the meaning behind that? That doesn't sound like somebody's heart, raw heart, being placed out in front of God. The other component he talks about is vain repetitions. Don't use vain repetitions. I think the key here is that it's vain repetitions. Because in a moment, we're going to look at a prayer that's very repetitive. Um, It's not that don't pray repeatedly or repetitions, but it's that vanity, that sense of, hey, because I know this and I can repeat it, I am somehow better or stronger or a higher elevation than the rest of you. Uh, Like in Jesus' time, there were a lot of Pharisees who'd be like, yes, we know this prayer, and we can recite it forwards and backwards. And look at us. We are these massive prayer warriors. He's like, no, that's not what we're looking for. If prayer is about elevating yourself and your status, that is not what we're looking for. Because instead, he contrasts this in the next verse. So don't pray empty phrases and vain receipts, but instead do, do pray in this manner, And he lists out the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to go too much into this because Craig just preached on this like three or four weeks ago. But in summary, the idea is we're not throwing together empty phrases. This is a conversational prayer. This prayer that Jesus modeled, said pray in this way, uh, was very countercultural because our Father in Heaven, like we can talk to God like he's our dad. Like we can just go to him. Really? That's a thing? What about this? We can go to God and ask for the forgiveness of our sins and our debts? Like, what is that about? Like, all throughout history, you had to go to the temple with a sacrifice so that another priest could pray for you. What do you mean I can go directly to him and share my heart and my worries and my struggles with God himself? So this is a model, again, to bring our heart before God, to share hey, I need this. I need this daily bread. Hey, I need forgiveness. God, help me understand your will and what that looks like here on this kingdom. 
help rescue me from all the struggles in the world because there is so much chaos and crazy going on. I don't know what to do with this. So help rescue me and deliver me from the evil one. I think one key to throw out here is just remembering that um, this is paired with the do not heap up empty phrases and vain repetitions. Um, Just being mindful of how am I praying the Lord's Prayer? Has it become a vain repetition that I have just learned? Or is it a model of here's the cry of my heart and what I am bringing forward to God? So moving forward, we have supplications. I'm crying out to God. We have general prayers, our general conversations with God. Here's my heart. Here's what's in, within me that I want to share Those are both bringing forward to God. Our next one that Paul talks about is make intercessions. Intercessions in its original Greek means to meet with the personal and intimate setting. Outside of the Bible, this was commonly used when a king or a royalty would extend an invitation for somebody to come have dinner with him. Um, To say, hey, you know what? You don't have to come to the throne room and go through the formal like now presenting whoever. Like Just come have dinner with me and we'll have a one-on-one sit-down chat intimately together, just you and me. And so when this is used in scripture, make intercessions. Again, it's an invitation. Come sit down at the table with God. Have an intimate one-on-one with him. Get to know him personally. You don't have to go through the formal channels of here's how you enter, here's what you need to wear, the sit-down, stand-up type stuff. It's come sit with me, meet with me intimately. We're going to look at um, a visual that was so beneficial to me in Romans 8 that Paul points out to the Romans. Um, So imagine you are going, you've gotten this invitation, come to the table, come eat with me, and we have God. Now I know some of you were mentioning on my amazing Pictionary skills when I did this a few weeks ago. Now you get to see my lovely graphic design skills. Um, But we're invited to come sit at the table with God. And Romans 8 gives us this beautiful picture of what this is like. Um, So we are not the only ones at this table. First, Romans 8.34. It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised up and who is now seated at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us then from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we are going into this table. We've gotten an invitation to sit down one-on-one with God. But when we walk in, Christ is already there making intercession for us, speaking on our behalf, uh, talking about, I love him, I've died for him, uh, we've covered all of his sins, making intercession for us. But he is not the only one, because Romans 8 goes on and talks about, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with us or intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit. And because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So before we've even sat down at the table with God, we have Christ at his right hand interceding for us. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us on our behalf because we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know the right words or how to really bring it forward. The Spirit dwells within us and knows our heart and can bring that forward. So already before we sit down, there is a conversation that started that we get to partake in and become into intimately. 
but we do have a right to come to this table. For, in Romans 8, it still goes on, for all who have been led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, for it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are then heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified in him. We get to come to this table because of what Christ did for us. And in this next picture, there we go. Because of the cross of Christ, because he died for our sins, we are now joint heirs with Christ. And we get to come into this discussion. We get to come into the table. In the Old Testament, this was called the Holy of Holies. Again, there was only one priest who was allowed in once a year. And there was a big production to get to that point. But because of the cross, we have been invited personally to come sit down at the table with God, to hear his heart, to hear the discussion of his heart here in the table. Now, as we come in, I don't know about you, but if I'm talking about going in and sitting down to have dinner with God, I get a little overwhelmed. Scripture talks about that further. Hebrews 4.13 talks about, Before him no creature is hidden. All are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one whom we render an account to. But since then we have a great high priest who has passed through heaven, that is, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are and is yet without sin. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So because Christ died on the cross, when we get this invitation, we can come boldly to the throne room. We can come boldly into the presence of God because of what Christ has done for us, if we hold on to that confession. John writes about this as well in chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son of life, whoever does not have... Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is the boldness that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So as we're sitting down at this table, coming in and saying... God, what is your heart? What is your will for my life? I don't know. Uh, How do I ask for this? We can sit down at the table and have this conversation. And the encouragement is that Romans 8, 26 talks about if you don't know how to pray, that's okay too because the Spirit is there interceding for us when we don't have the words. In some ways, I'm reminded of the psalm that talks about be still in the presence of God. Sometimes walking into the table, it's just sitting down and being still. Like, what is already going on? there's already this intercession going on for us. What is being talked about? What's, what's being talked about? Have you ever done that? You joined a conversation, you're like, they're talking about me. Um, what's going on? You're kind of listening in, like, what are they talking about? Um, same thing, going into the prayer room, going into the prayer table. Like, what are they talking about? They're talking about me going where? Being a missionary, what? Like, huh? Um, so often we're like, what's the will of God for my life? Do I go this way or this way? Um, sometimes it's being still and, and saying, what, what, are you, what are you praying for me? What are you interceding for me? The other side to intercession is sometimes we go to this table on behalf of others. Um, we go in and we say, hey, I know you're all are talking about this. Can we talk about John? Can we talk about Sally? Like they have a lot going on too. How do we pray for them? 
intercessory prayer is sometimes called standing in the gap. It's going to this table and saying, hey, I'm not here for me today. I'm here for this person. How can we pray for them better? How can we help present their needs to God? And again, you're not doing this on your own. The scripture says that Christ is there interceding for them too on their behalf. And so is the Spirit interceding when they don't have the words or you don't have the words. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture and very encouraging to me, I know, in my own life. If you are curious to see a beautiful intercessory prayer, uh, look at John chapter 17. The whole chapter is Jesus the night before he's crucified. And he sits down, and he says, Father, and he prays for the world. He prays for his disciples first. He play, prays for the church that's about to come. And he prays for everyone in the world till his second return. And it's this beautiful intercession where he shares the heart of God and he's seeking out the heart of God, like what is our will for them? That's a beautiful prayer. So, going, moving on to our last one. So far we've talked about supplications, crying out to God. We have our general prayers, bringing our heart forward to God. Intercession's a little bit different. We're coming in looking for the heart of God. We're seeking the heart of God. And what does that mean for us? Our last prayer then is thanksgiving. This is gratitude, thankfulness. Oh, so grateful. Usually as a result of the other three types of prayer. So in 1 Samuel 2, uh, we see Hannah's prayer of thankfulness. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is Hannah going to the temple, begging and pleading and crying out to God, I am barren, I want a son. My husband looks at me with disdain because I can't bear him any children. God, help me. And then he gives her a son, and then she comes back to the temple in chapter 2 and says, oh my gosh, my heart exalts the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. There is no one holy like God, no one beside you. And she has this whole chapter-long prayer of just, oh my gosh, God is so amazing, so wonderful. Look at what he can do. The Psalms are filled with praises of thanksgiving from David and the other writers. And at the close of service, we're actually going to sing one of these psalms, uh, Psalm 136. In Revelation 7, we see Jesus when he comes back in person, and it says, And every knee fell, and everyone fell on their faces before the throne of God, worshiping. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This thanksgiving that Christ has come back to reclaim his world and his kingdom. And since we have a little time, I am going to dive into Psalm 136 here real quick. Um, Because I talked about repetition is okay. Psalm 136 is one of those repetition prayers. Um, And I will give you the words because we're going to sing it here in a moment. But um, Psalm 136, I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to God of all gods for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his love endures forever. Who alone does great wonders? Who, by understanding, made the heavens? Who spread out the earth and the waters? For his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, and the moon and the stars to rule the night? His love endures forever. Who remembered us in our low estate? For his love endures forever. Who rescued us from all of our enemies? because his love endures forever. Give thanks to God in heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. That is a prayer of thanksgiving. His love holds us. Nothing can separate us from that. 
And that is a beautiful prayer. So in wrapping up, we live in a day where life is full of distractions, with busyness. Uh, Truth seems relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. If we don't like the, the truth, then we can change the TV channel. We can change the radio channel. And we can find the truth that, that speaks to us. But instead, Paul and John both write, like, that is not the point. Our point is to stay focused on Christ. In him, we can find our truth. In him, we find our encouragement. And in doing so, how do we get there? We pray in the Spirit on all occasions, in all types of prayers. And we just covered four. There are so many more prayers. Um, If you're interested in learning more, one of the the studies that's going to start up here in the fall is a study on prayer where we're going to go through about 12 more different types of prayers. What does that look like? How does that work? And practicing through a few of them if you're brand new to them. One thing we can do as we're learning how do we make supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving for others is partnering with other people. Um, There's a thing called a prayer partner that maybe you're not familiar with. This is partnering with somebody else. Let's pray together. Like, let's do this together. Let's seek the heart of God together. Let's join together in prayer for other people. I know our prayer team does that. Um, They get together at 1 o'clock on Sundays, I think it is, and they lift up the prayers that people have brought forward. Here's what I need help with. And they go to that prayer table and say, God, here, here are the needs of the people. Like, let's bring that forward. So as we're talking through this, I, I, I guess the question for you to think about is, are you satisfied with your prayer life? Are you the one of six or five of six? How can you reclaim the power that is in prayer to help find your source, your truth, your, your rock in the time when there's so much information and so much going on. The ability to join with God in prayer is an amazing gift and a privilege uh, that has been given to us because Christ died on the cross before we, we would not be allowed to do this or to go into prayer. Uh, but because of a sacrifice, we can come boldly into the throne room with our prayers. And even as we look across the scripture message from creation to redemption and revelation, the hope has always been that God wants to be in communion with his people. He created them in the garden. He communed with them every day, walking with them. And when things went astray, Christ came and died so that we could come back into his fold and be intimately aware of who God is and getting to know him.